Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And today I've got with me one of my best friends who I've never met uh, in person, but we spent a lot of time on Zoom, even though we only live a few miles apart. Uh, COVID has kind of separated us because we met after that had started, but I'm with my friend Bob Engel, who also lives here in Lawrence, Kansas, with me. He's lived in lots of different places, and we'll get into that as we get going. But first of all, welcome, Bob. Thanks for being with us. Good to be with you, Paul. Sure glad that we could work this out. Uh, we're together on Zoom uh, every Sunday morning, part of our group here, and then we get to visit some other times, too. And I've been looking forward to this. And Bob, as I always do, I, I like to start out the podcast by asking our guests, how has your ongoing, ever-evolving ever understanding of God's unconditional love and grace for everyone, how's that changed your relationships with your family, friends, people you're in business with, where the rubber hits the road? How's it affected you? Flo and I emerged out of the evangelical movement about 11 years ago, almost exactly 11 years ago, and went through a real time of re-identifying myself. I was, we were immersed. I was immersed in that movement. And so I went through what I called my Lazarus experience. I'm not proud of it, but honest, people wanted to die sometimes. And Lazarus is a great character, and, and we could talk about him for a long time. He was the last straw, by the way, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They'd been putting up with Jesus along and, and kind of trying to counter him. But when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead four days after he died, by the way, which meant in their culture, the spirit had departed. They got together then. You can find it in, in late book, books of Matthew, I believe it's 25 or 26, where they said, you know what? This guy's going to mess our deal up. We've got to deal with him. And, and I always picture Lazarus as a guy. He was a friend of Jesus. He was a devotee. Jesus hung out at his house. Lazarus was married Martha's brother. And Jesus came over there and ate and hung out, no doubt slept because he, he was itinerant. He had to have places to sleep and, and so on. So Jesus and Lazarus were well-connected and they were good friends. But when Lazarus came out of that tomb, it was all different. Matter of fact, it's interesting if you'll study the history of Lazarus, when they put a price on Jesus' head, they also put a price on Lazarus' head. Mm -hmm. They couldn't have that kind of a witness around. And, and I went through a time where I, I felt as though I had spiritually died. And I, it was an extended period. It was, a, it was what I call the, my abyss. But when I came out of that, I started seeing things completely differently. And, and to answer your question, if I would have answered it in one sentence, from that point forward, every man and woman became my brother and sister. If I meet someone on the street and speak to them, I, I say, good morning, brother, or good afternoon, sister, or, or, or whatever. And I, I'm not being religious. That's how I feel about them. And uh, that wasn't a way that I could feel under the we're saved and you're not philosophy. But under the, uh, the dogma, actually, of that, it's not a philosophy. A philosophy implies careful thought. But I was all of a sudden free 
to see everyone I encountered as a creation of the image of God. It still is overwhelming to me to talk about it. That changes everything, doesn't it? Absolutely. So what triggered the change from darkness to light, if I can use that term? Flo and I have talked about this a lot. As a matter of fact, we talked about it over the weekend, interestingly enough, and not only it was going to go here in this conversation, but as we look back in our walk throughout our 30-plus years in the evangelical movement, we never really fit. Now, that doesn't mean we weren't involved. I, I played on worship teams. I was Sunday school superintendent for a number of years. I served on church boards. I, I, matter of fact, I helped found and plant churches and served on their boards. I did all the things. I was, I was an elder. Actually, I wasn't an elder. I refused to be an elder at one point. I was highly solicited. And I said, I'm not the right guy to be an elder. But I fundamentally functioned as one. I, I was assigned to go visit people in the hospital and, and do all those kinds of things. But there was never a, we were never really part of the club. We were always felt that we were looking for more and we were very optimistic. So we weren't being negative. But I always felt people would come to me and kind of say things. I remember a brother saying to me one time, well, it's nice to know a totally committed Christian. And I thought, well, isn't everybody? I mean, I didn't take that as a compliment. I, I, I took it as almost, a, wow, aren't we all supposed to be there? And in 2007, a good friend uh, sent me Velvet Elvis, and I read it. I read Barnes' book, Revolution. I read Love Wins. I read The Shack. And... I knew, I knew what I was seeing was what I'd been looking for. And I, it was very difficult for me to adopt it because keep in mind, I, I'm still on the platform playing, playing in the worship team. I'm still a Sunday school superintendent and teaching classes. But all through our walk, we've been there. I, 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 about two years, maybe about three years after we actually got involved in church, we were in a big Baptist church. My mother went there, and so we decided that's where we should go. And I'm teaching Sunday school all of a sudden, teaching an adult Sunday school class in the book of Acts. And we came to the second chapter of Acts. And the absolute line from Dallas was the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. And very honestly, went to the pastor and said, Pastor, how am I supposed to teach the second book of Acts and say these gifts are no longer valid? Did God take them away from us? And I, I wasn't being sarcastic, really. But just one thing after another, and I could, I could go through 35 years of times where we just, we knew there was more. And apparently, I'm a guy that had to go through the abyss to, to recognize that. It radically changed how I see life. It certainly did me, too. I was very similar situation with you, and including starting a church and being the senior pastor. And then it was in 2009 when somebody sent me a book, too, which was The Rest of the Gospel. And then shortly after that, I got Steve McVeigh's books, Grace Walk, and then found out about Baxter Kruger and Paul Young and, and others and Rob Bell and my eyes just started uh, opening, and uh, I guess I was ready. And, well, some of those things I had never heard before, although in hindsight, I, some people told me, well, we tried to talk to you about that, but you, know, but you weren't ready. But you know, you're a musician, Bob, a guitar player, and I, and I know that uh, you're probably aware of this, but if you sit two acoustic guitars, you stand them up like on the floor, and you plunk the A string on one, the A string on the other is going to vibrate without even touching. It's called sympathetic vibration. And that's what happens, I think, when you and I or when anybody, when, when we read the truth, or and a lot of us, it happened through books, but when we read the truth or somebody else talks to us about it, when we hear the truth of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us resonates with that, with our spirit. And we, even though our mind might fight it, we know that something's true there. 
when we quit fighting it and we're willing to open it and explore it, then the floodgates kind of start flowing open, don't they? They do. And it's interesting. The guitar analogy is very interesting. That's why the old masters, by the way, lay their violin on top of the piano. They want the sound going through it all the time. I've got a D28 Martin that's about 50 years old, and and it sounded great the first time I played it. But I wish I had recorded it then and, and, and could record it now. I've got some good recordings of it about 10 years ago. There's a principle in the Bible called by reason of use. And those acoustic players know that the more you play the instrument, the instrument's forever changing. The, the pores, if you will, in the wood, the, the entire makeup of the wood is constantly, consistently responding to the type of sound that goes through it. And, and that's why the old guitars sound better than the new ones do, the played ones. Now, if you buy a new guitar and put it, in, put it in a case under the bed, it'll sound like it did, and it'll sound like it did, and it'll sound like it did. But if you take it out and play it, uh, my D28 stayed in an open G tuning for about 15 years. And it was an amazing sound that it got in open G because that was the sound that went through it so long. I had a big guild that the first time I played it, by the way, I picked it up and detuned it and thought it's a little rattly, and then realized that because of they tuned it down a step, I was actually hearing it in C, and it had all this resonance in it. By reason of use is a scriptural principle. And as we poured ourselves into the movement, as we poured ourselves in it, as you know, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I'd go on to say, no matter where they look, I mean, God's going to find you if you're looking for him. He, you're going to find him because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. People who say, come Lord Jesus and join with us and what do we need to do to get God here? He's on, he's here. And so as we saw it, even, even incorrectly, we were putting sound through us that was developing and developing and developing. And yeah, we were, we were learning to vibrate with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. We were and to resonate and we still are by the way. Well, yeah, yeah. Never stop. So this started for you in 2007, right? Yeah. 2007, 2008 timeframe. I, I don't mean to be political, but when I was a kid, I was, at one point, had 10 years perfect attendance to a Baptist Sunday school. And when I was 15, a funny talking uh, uh, guy from Massachusetts ran for president. And my church prayed against him. We didn't pray against him because of his politics. prayed against him because he was Catholic. And pretty convenient for a 15-year-old boy maybe to have this excuse. But I couldn't tolerate that. And so I stepped away from church then. It's interesting to me that, again, I don't mean to be political, and but it's interesting to me that in 2007, my church started praying against Barack Obama. Now, there are a lot of politics in Barack Obama that I don't necessarily agree with, but that man could teach a Sunday school class in my class. I mean, he has things to say. I'd sit, I'd love to sit down and drink a beer with you. I couldn't pray against him because of his color. I couldn't pray against him because of his politics. And I saw a character in him that, again, whether I agree with his politics or not, he's a man of impeccable character. And I saw a character in him and that caused my church to start pushing back on me. And I wasn't preaching Barack Obama. I just, it was just kind of, no, I had a pastor say, my pastor said me one time, uh, he thought I was losing my salvation because of my interest. And in, I've been reading Barack Obama's book. I just wanted to know the man. I knew he was going to be elected president when I first heard him. I, I want to know this guy. So I read his book. So it's interesting, those kinds of things about me. But, but the bigger things were the inconsistencies. The evangelical gospel is full of, of just illogical inconsistencies. And I'm sorry to say that, but but I'll be glad to have that discussion with ev any evangelical that wants to have it. The, it says it believes a lot of things. I think a turning point for me was one Wednesday evening. We had a, a fellow who'd been in the, in the mission field in Tibet or in a bordering 
it couldn't be there in that country, but he was in a bordering country for a number of years. Come to, he was invited to a church. He wasn't going back. He wasn't there asking for money. He wasn't promoting anything. He was just invited to come and speak. And he came and he spoke and he, and he talked about miraculous things that he had seen, healings and deliverances and so on. And it wasn't hype. He wasn't taking an offering. He just came and talked. And he said, here you are. What are you doing as a church in this? You know. And it overwhelmingly touched my spirit. And I went to my pastor the next day and I said, man, what are we going to do with this? And he said, well, it's really clear that it really touched your spirit. It really affected you. And I said, wait a minute, pastor. This man didn't come to my house and say this to me. He came to our house on a Wednesday night when the core crowd's there and challenged us. What are we going to do with it? Well, it got pushed back. We didn't do anything with it. We put it in the closet. One elder said to me, uh, I'm glad I wasn't there so I could judge this. I saw those kinds of things when we were really challenged to step up. When somebody would come and visit and say, who'd like to go visit prisoners at Lansing, Kansas, or who'd like to go play on a worship team at, at the Women's Penitentiary at Chillicothe? The worship team didn't stand up and say, we're there. I did, because I didn't know differently, and because I love to go play music, and I love to play music about the Lord. But I saw a lot of words and not much action. And when we talk about love, if we go back and look at love in the example of Jesus, who's the ultimate example, for God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. We don't see a guy that talked a lot. We see a guy that did a lot. You don't know you're Christians by your love. Is That's not a conversation. That's the result of your actions. To a hungry man, a meal is the gospel. To a man in prison, speaking reconciliation to him or helping him find a job when he comes out is the gospel. To a couple going through a divorce or, or, or having conflict, being able to talk to them and have them come together and maybe reconcile is the gospel. The love of Jesus, as I see it, always was attached to action. I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about things that made a difference. Jesus, at the Sermon on the Mount, didn't say, listen, I really love you guys. Come back after lunch. He fed him. He went about healing people. He walking in a throng of people, and a woman with an issue of blood touches him. And with all this throng pressed around him, Jesus says, wait a minute, somebody touched me. I mean, I could see Peter or, or James or, or John or Matthew saying, what are you talking about? Rabbi, there, the whole crowd's touching me. And he said, no, 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 somebody touched me. He turned to that woman and healed her. There was always an action, and it was always out of love. It was, Jesus would say, now, I know I healed you lepers, but don't go tell anybody. I'm not looking for notoriety here. I just loved you. And your problem was leprosy, and now it's not. So that's my love to you. And yeah. uh, it's interesting to me that when the young lawyer came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, what does the Torah say? And the rabbi said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. The whole gospel starts in love. Indeed it does. And Jesus, of course, went around doing good all the time. Sometimes he used words. And uh, I certainly believe, as you were just saying, that you know that's what uh, we're called to do today. Uh, nobody, this was a hard pill for me to swallow. I started learning it 20 years the end of being a pastor, but it, nobody cares how much scripture you got memorized or how many Greek or Hebrew words you know or what kind of doctrines you believe in or don't believe in. Basically, they may not be able to articulate it, but all anybody wants to know is, do you love me? Do you like being with me? Will you, will you treat me nicely? Certainly, we look up to people who have different talents and abilities and gifts and stuff, but uh, that's only skin deep. And uh, 
love is the whole deal. And it's, uh, uh, as, as you well know, we could talk about that for a long time. And we do pretty much uh, every time we get together. When I was caught up in, in evangelical religion, it still just blows my mind that I never questioned this. But we would say, boy, God, you know, God is love and he so loved the world and everything. Uh, and agape love, boy, that means, you know, love with no conditions. And then we'd give all these conditions. Now I'm just going, where was my mind? <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, God is good all the time and God's love never fails and there are no conditions to it except for all these conditions. And you know, uh, you well know, Bob, the, the watching world, uh, the unreligious world can spot that a mile away. <laughs> we, we just couldn't see it because we were in the dark, I think. If you think about the whole gospel, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And we think about what we came from. I, I remember reading a mission statement in about two, 2011, and I never really thought about this before, but late 2010, early 2011, of, of an evangelical church in an area where I was called to do some ministry. And they said, we believe in the total depravity of man. I had never realized that word was foundational to where I was. And I was mm. offended by that word. And if you'll think about the impact of that thinking on love, mm. How are you going to love your neighbor as you love yourself if you first don't love yourself? And if you believe you're depraved, by the way, then you're not very lovable. And if you believe he's depraved, he's not very lovable. And so the dogma of the depravity of man really deprives us of the basic fundamental of yeah. love your neighbor as love yourself. Yeah. And you add to that a picture of a God who doesn't exist, who can't stand you because you're totally depraved unless he sees you covered with the blood of Jesus. When you have that mindset, you still think, well, okay, I, I'm grateful I'm covered with the blood of Jesus, but underneath, you know, I'm just despicable. <laughs> Hard to love yourself or anybody else or, or God when you think that that's the way things really are. Gosh, we've talked uh, about a lot of different things and our time is almost up. For the people who are listening and watching to watching us, they're going to see the next episode a week later. We're going to have the same shirts on and the same background. And uh, it's not because we wear the same clothes every day. It's because we just uh, took a little break and then did our second recording. But, Bob, before we finish, I, I appreciate you being on so much. And, and tell people how they can connect with you. We didn't talk about your music. We'll do it next time and your writings. But we're going to hear your music and, and see your blog posts and those things. Well, first of all, I'm pretty active on Facebook. It's a great medium to meet people. You and I met because of it, for example. And right. I've met thousands of people on Facebook, and it's a community that I love a great deal, and I gain from it every day. So I'm, it's just B-O-B-I-N-G-L-E on Facebook. That's easy. We have a blog. In 2007, Flo said to me, we'd had a tape lending library back in the day and been instructed to give that up because it didn't fit under a certain ministry mold that we were in. But but in 2007, Flo said, we should do that again, and it should involve the internet. Mm -hmm. And I, we were sitting at an Applebee's when she said that. It's very, uh, very vivid. And I said, yeah, and it should be called Unheard Words with a Z. Now, it took us about three years to get around to doing that and be ready to do it, find the right vehicle for it. We did it in Blogger. And it cost me, what, $15 a year to keep it hosted in my own URL. And other than that, it's, it's expense-free, and we don't certainly ask anybody to contribute to it. But it's unheardwords.com. It's unheardwords with a Z instead of an S, .com. We've had upwards of 500,000 people come and visit that over the last few years. We don't advertise it. We don't 
push it. We again, we certainly haven't attached any giving to it. We don't even give you a way to give to it. Give your money to somebody that needs it. But it started out to be a place where we could publish a lot of things by a lot of people that weren't getting published otherwise. And we still do that. But it really became pretty much of a place for me to, to post. So I write two or three blogs a month, probably on there on different things. I, I only do it if I really feel impressed to do it. Sometimes I write it at three o'clock in the morning because I wake up and couldn't go back to sleep till I wrote the kinds of things. But I always then post links to that on my Facebook wall. So again, you can find it by going to www.unheardwords.com or you can just be on my Facebook wall. And when I post something, I'll put my latest post up. And of course, that'll take you to the whole thing. I wrote some music back in the 90s, had about a seven year period of, of writing. And around that music, a, a group formed, some really great musicians came to me and said, we want to play with you. So we put a band together in fall of 97. And it ended up being a primarily an acoustic player, at least in that band. I was I was the acoustic rhythm guy, but two great guitar players, a bass player and a drummer. And when that instrumentation, and that was about the time Jerry Garcia passed away. And uh, I remember the Lord saying to me one day, Jerry may not be grateful to be dead now. Of course, that was the old evangelical talking. I love Jerry Garcia. But the name of the band is The Grateful Saved. And we put together a project. We got 10 or 12 tunes uh, in an album. And then Jimmy Bratcher came to me a few years later and said, man, you've got some acoustic stuff you need to do. So I went in, in the studio with some really good players that he brought on board and, and did an acoustic project. And both of those are under Bob Engel, I-N-G-L-E, on Bandcamp. And they're free downloads. You're welcome to go listen. Uh, you're welcome to download them any way you want to. Use them any way you want to. Uh, probably the most glorious thing that ever happened to me out of that is when I I spent a number of years going out to Ellsworth Penitentiary to play often. And uh, I have a tune on there called Broken. And uh, I had given away CDs to the guys out there because they would let me not call it contraband and so on. And I went out one one weekend. Uh, the chaplain said, would you stay over Sunday and preach for the guys? And I said, love to. And got in on Sunday morning and the head of the choir in the chapel came to me and he said, Brother Bob, could we do a song for you? And I said, absolutely. And uh, those guys played Broken, sang Broken to me. Really? Uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, I don't know what it's like to sell a platinum record, but it can't be that good. <laughs> it, it was, it was, I, I puddle up almost thinking about it. And, and you'll, if you're out on my Facebook page, you'll see me uh, ever so often. I'll get in a thread where I have a song that applies and you will, you see it in our, in our Sunday morning things. It's amazing yeah. how many times one of my songs that I wrote back, by the way, when I was in the evangelical movement that fits perfectly now, that was not me. That was the yeah. Holy Spirit writing, knowing where I was going, by the way, he, he, knew where well, I was going yeah, he did. I got there. So you can find my music there. And again, if I, if I put a tune on, it'll take you back to Bandcamp, to my Bandcamp site. And again, you can listen to and download anything you want to there. Beautiful. And they are. We share those through our group here most every week, as as we did uh, just yesterday. Well, Bob, thanks so much. This has been fun, as I knew it would be. Uh, we're going to finish up. Uh, you and I are going to take a break, and then we'll come back and do another interview that people will hear a week later. So I want to thank you so much for being with us. Thanks to your wife, Flo, for sharing you with us uh, for this time. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Thanks again, Bob. Be blessed, everybody. Thank you. And everybody, thanks for watching. Grow in Grace. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, 
and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.